many of these uh, exchanges that we have in like Bitcoin circles, they didn't start with the KYC. They didn't initially want them. It was later just forced upon them. Some party won a popularity contest does not make theft more ethical. We know that we shouldn't be paying taxes probably because it's theft, but we are, at least most. Why? Because we're afraid of the violence and all the problems that comes without, if we don't do it. You know, we always have the option to move to Paraguay or do some weird, you know, things or tricks to avoid taxes, but we're lazy and we don't do that. The non-coin joined ones are, are safer as well because you cannot make the same types of assumptions as you could before. This exception of like, if you are a very, very huge whale compared to everyone else in the coin joint transaction, it's going to take some time before you get your privacy. It's like, you know, hiding an elephant within ads. That's why you need privacy, because you need to hide from these people. If there were no bad actors, you wouldn't need any privacy. You could go around doing the helicopter with your schlong everywhere and no one would care. just like to mention a couple of our show's sponsors, things that we care about and that we think are useful to Bitcoiners all over. So first up is the Orange Pill app. Download the Orange Pill app today from the orangepillapp.com. Yeah, Orange Pill app. Woo! Rocket ship, get on board. It's available for iOS and Android. Stack friends and meet like-minded people near you. Connect with your favorite Bitcoiners and speed up hyper-Bitcoinization. We're really excited about the Orange Pill app and its potential to connect Bitcoiners in their local area. Download the Orange Pill app. It's not a dating app, but you can use it for dating. Download now. Next up is Wasabi Wallet. It's a great desktop wallet that has privacy by default and CoinJoin built in. It recycles your UTXOs around so that no one knows who you are after it's done the process. Check out wasabiwallet.io. Make sure that that's the actual link you check out because there are scammers out there who want to steal your Bitcoin. But it works in the background. Tor is built in. And when you send coins to it, the coins you take out are private. So download Wasabi Wallet today. I'm wearing these shades in tribute to Wasabi Wallet because your OPSEC is important. So I'm totally anonymous now, just so you know. Hello and welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. We're concerned about your freedom footprint and want to help you spread as much freedom dioxide as possible. I'm your host, Luke the Pseudo-Finn, and I'm here as always with Knut Svanholm. Good afternoon, Knut. Good afternoon, Luke. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, as always. Uh, our guest today here is uh, someone that I'm uh, really interested in because he's a bit of an OG on the Consensus channel back when this was originally a Finnish language channel, or at least mostly Finnish language, and the, the whole organization was, uh, was based in Finland originally. And he's also an open source contributor to Wasabi Wallet, so welcome to the show, BTC Paradigm, aka Rafe. Hi, Luke. Take note. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Can you quickly tell us a, a little bit about yourself, your background for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I use the handle BTC, uh, BTC Paradigm in Twitter and in Telegram and all the other places. I've been in the Bitcoin rabbit hole for already like 10 years, actually. I think it's now. Yeah, I, I think I hit that birthday already. I've been, you know, just interested in 
all freedom related things. I've always been like a, a big rebellionist uh, since I was a kid. And yeah, I mean, Bitcoin really got my attention. I got deeper into the rabbit hole, just, you know, in the true education and all of that. Started doing some content myself. Then I found out about uh, privacy and the, you know, privacy problems of Bitcoin. That got me really, really like interested. And I jumped into like contributing into different open source Bitcoin projects, but mainly Wasabi Wallet, because I, I kind of had this feeling that, you know, most of the things in Bitcoin, they, there is a lot of problems, but privacy is kind of like the, one of the most, um, let's say urgent problem to solve. Wasabi Wallet, for those that don't know, it's an open source coin join program. That's what it is, yep. right? Is that correct? And a coin join is a way to, uh, to, you know, funnel a bunch of Bitcoin or mix a bunch of Bitcoin transactions together and out the other end comes a anonymous Bitcoin, basically. Yeah, basically, yes. So it's kind of like a collaborative Bitcoin transaction. You know, it's just that usually whenever we transact with Bitcoin, we do these transactions by ourselves. You know, like the whole transaction is just, you know, our inputs and we're sending money to whoever we want to. Maybe we get a little bit of change back to ourselves. But that is not the case with uh, these coin joins. So the point is exactly that you're clustering basically like your transaction with a lot of other people. So it becomes much more harder to figure out like who, who and what's going where. Authorities don't like this, of course, uh, but they're sort of, uh, this is trying to, to come up with a technical solution to a problem before the authorities even realize that the problem exists uh, in, a, in a way. I mean, the, the, there's a thing called chain anal analytics and uh, uh, chain analytics companies can, can be employed by government organizations to track down who sent what amount to whom in Bitcoin. Because in a Bitcoin transaction, it's Bitcoin is pseudonymous. Uh, pseudonymous. This is a basic problem. I mean, no Bitcoin uh, address is connected to a person directly. However, yeah. if 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 I were to sell you some of my Bitcoin, you would know what Bitcoin address they came from, and you could connect that information to my name and my identity. You know that you bought them from me. Mm -hmm. And I, who sold them to you, can know, uh, if you receive them to a normal Bitcoin address, I can monitor that address and I can tell when you choose to use the money for something, uh, mm -hmm. which, which is something you cannot do with fiat money. Uh, and it's not something you can do very easily on the Lightning Network. And it's not something you can do if you if you coin join instantly. So the the uh, the best practice, from what I know, is to coin join instantly as soon as you receive Bitcoin, and then coin join again as just before you you use them for anything. Yep, uh, exactly. Please feel free to fill in where whatever I'm missing here when I'm describing this process. I know of a couple of exchanges. That instantly, because if you if you buy Bitcoin from a KYC exchange somewhere, regardless of what country country you're in, so that your your uh, information ends up in a database somewhere, uh, that company that you bought the Bitcoin from can can monitor whatever addresses they sent Bitcoins to and connect them to your address, and they could potentially flag bitcoins that are going into a coin join 
uh, going into a coin join whenever they do. And they can monitor not only if the, the Bitcoins go directly to, to a coin join, but they can also monitor if, if Bitcoins go several steps before it goes into a coin join. So that's, mm -hmm. th that's an issue. Um, I, I don't know if Wasabi solves that. Um, so, so could you explain that further and how to avoid, you know, just painting a big bullseye target on your back by coin joining? Like, like why should people coin join and why shouldn't they coin join if that's the case? Overall, like, let, if we start about like definitions, you know, just to get into a little bit like what privacy means. So privacy is traditionally being explained as like an ability for you to selectively reveal yourself to the world. So uh, there's a lot of nuances to that, like philosophical questions regarding it, like does that definition actually make sense or how we use that word privacy, but that's kind of like a separate thing. But um, for this case, exactly uh, for exchanges and, you know, like them flagging or marking something as good or bad or whatever, like that is something that, well, usually people tend to call that, you know, some, as something bad, but I would argue that it's kind of, well, I would prefer maybe that no one would be, you know, looking into a blockchain and what's happening in there, maybe in some way, but if I'm really being practical, it's actually good that people are poking. Like that, it's good that people are trying to, you know, break Bitcoin's privacy and trying to figure out what's going on there and give out this information to the public. That would be like really, really important and nice for these chain analysis companies to do, which they usually necessarily don't, which is bad. But um, like the, the fact that they are just poking around and trying to find information, that is not, you know, bad. That is what we all are doing. That is why we're having these conversations. You know, we're trying to acquire knowledge. Like that is totally normal human action to do. And, you know, knowledge is power. So it's also very much understandable why they want to get this kind of like very interesting power, like information asymmetries, you know, basically what they have in their side. If, if they are making these judgments correctly about what happened with what coin or, or like uh, whatever transaction. Now, what it is, in my opinion, this chain analysis thing, at least at this point, while like it's pretty much in the beginning in some sense, you know, like just like Bitcoin. And in my opinion, currently, it's pretty much like a pseudo site. So it's not based on like what actually happened. It's just probabilities. And, you know, like hopefully this, like, you know, this is the likely thing that we assume that could happen in this case. But necessarily these chain analysis companies don't really know anything. Um, they are just, throwing out guests. If I may interrupt you, the, the first yep. problem I see with chain analysis is that they cannot know the the reason why someone sent Bitcoin to an, to some other Bitcoin address. They don't know who owns it, who really owns it and like what what the purpose was. And like yep. so I could send to myself an infinite amount of times for like they have no idea what what motivated me to to send the bitcoin in the first place they're, they're not really proving anything but they're guessing mm -hmm. yep exactly and i think it's like it's fine for any you know private entrepreneur to go ahead and try to spin up a company in my opinion and to just try to acquire information and you know they can put out all kind of you know judgments of like oh okay i like this transaction i don't like that i will just score that as you know from the beauty perspective like let's say as number one and that one is number 10. it doesn't matter that is all good and dandy fine 
But what really bothers me with chain analysis companies is that they are trying to uh, like inflict uh, like governments to force other people to use these chain analysis tools and to obey their heuristics, their, you know, conclusions. And in my opinion, that's kind of like the part where it goes wrong. So like, if it's just a, a private individual or, you know, entrepreneur trying to decide of like, who does he want to serve or what does he want to judge in what way, that is totally fine. But when you do it through a government, then it becomes like censorship, you know, uh, but everyone in like in general, basically chain analysis, it's not necessarily bad. You know, it might be actually useful to have these people poking around and actually like informing us what's going on and for us to be able to make Bitcoin better. Because like really, really, really bad adversaries, they wouldn't even be telling us that they are even looking. You know, in the end, it's understandable why there's chain analysis companies. Now, the fact is that, yes, some of them, they do flag some point joints or some whatever transactions as, let's say, criminal or bad or risky or whatever. Now. That is totally kind of fine for them to do, but it's really about like all of us to decide, like, do we want to listen to them? Like the, does their arguments make any sense? And that is exactly where we have to draw the line ourselves. It's not something, you know, like we can ask the government or try to get them to stop. No, they have their own incentives. They have their own reasonings and all of that. What we can do is try to just, you know, show them a mingle finger and make their work harder and, you know, just kind of, you know, protect ourselves. Yes, there is exactly few, at least, of these exchanges who keep blocking and saying that all coin joint transactions would be bad, like inherently, even though there might be all like, you know, legit KYC exchange users, for example, or something. But just because they don't know what happened after a coin joint transaction, they feel uncertain about it. They feel uh, that they should know what you do with your money, which is, which is a weird, weird thing. The whole concept of ownership is like when, when you give something up to someone else, then it's not for you to to track and monitor that thing anymore. Then it then you haven't really fully exchanged something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so 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 yep. the, it, it's a it, it it's a very strange and sad situation we've ended up in with KYC uh, policies. Because mm -hmm. the whole the whole point of money is to facilitate trade between people, so that you remove the the need for a coincidence of of wants, so that you could mm -hmm. you don't have to split your cow in three parts to exchange it for a goat, because the cow would die in the process. If you know the person, if you know your customer, you don't need money. Uh, people you know, you can just exchange favors and uh, stuff with each other without, and and just keep track of whatever or whoever owes what to whom, without using money. The whole point of money is that you don't have to know the guy you're 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 dealing with. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so K KYC is such a backwards thing, and it's a some sort of proof of how corrupted and how. Uh, how bad modern money is working or fiat fiat currencies are working. So yeah, yep. I just wanted to add that. You know, and that's the thing. Many of these uh, exchanges that we have in like Bitcoin circles, like the thing is, they didn't start with the KYC. Like they didn't initially want them. You know, they would have done it since the beginning otherwise already. But most of them, they exactly wanted to try to avoid it. They didn't have it in the beginning. 
and it was later just forced upon them by you know governments and whatever entities and that is kind of like also why i i kind of feel like yes exchanges should have like stand it up a little bit better and you know like fought it fought against that kind of like you know uh, crazy rules but then again it's kind of understandable that well they they just had to go ahead and do it and now we have shittier services thanks to the government and also like what really really bothers me is exactly the arrogance of the people in the government you know like having this feeling that they have the right or that they have to be able to know who transacts and how or when and where like that is so arrogant that is like so crazy it's pretty ugly that we ended up in that place uh because mm-hmm. like i said it, it if everyone knew each other we wouldn't need money so it's so it's only about control it's about the ruling class controlling the the unruly <laughs> the other classes in society and it's uh, it's it's pretty bad and it's always under the guise of greater good yeah greater good and to prevent money laundering uh-huh. and, uh, but most money laundering is it's just there because people don't want to pay taxes and they shouldn't pay taxes <laughs> like taxes are are the bad thing to begin yep. with here some party won a popularity contest does not make theft more ethical if if you really think about it so so money laundry is a victimless crime in that sense well that's the thing like you know we keep um we keep also exactly like saying that you know blacklisting is bad uh and you know whatever like even ck snacks the company behind wasabi wallet it had to go ahead and like you know start blacklisting some inputs from its coin joints so it's basically not now, you know, allowing just blindly everyone to join. Yes, this is kind of like, you know, a topic that is, a, a, is in many ways weird, but also again, you know, like it's not, it's not something that everyone would just want to or like to do, you know, uh, we built this whole, like Wasabi was built in a way that it is like zero knowledge software. So it doesn't know anything about its users. Now, unfortunately there is these like inputs that everyone can see, they are not yet mixed. Even chain analysis can see. Now, if those inputs come from like so-called, you know, let's say North Korean hackers or something like that, uh, like it doesn't matter what we morally think about them, if they are okay to, you know, coin join or not, but it's the fact that the government will go ahead and harass us, the, or like even CK Snacks or Wasabi, uh, if that happens. So, yeah, there is a lot of these, you know, reports being uh, written exactly about how all kind of different bad entities are using all different, you know, coin, ser- coin joint services. And of course it has, you know, some problems. It will end up in a lot of questions. Now, what we had to kind of like do in ZK Snacks and with Wasabi is that we had to put out this blacklisting in there. And many people are saying kind of correctly that it was kind of like, you know, a pussy move. And I really, I even understand it in some way. Like, you know, Peter Todd was exactly mentioning that. Yes, you guys are pussy, but I don't blame you for it. And I really exactly understood it later that, yeah, I mean, we all tend to do exactly things that we wouldn't want to do. You know, we're kind of all hypocrites. Exactly. Like we know that we shouldn't be paying taxes probably because it's theft, but we are at least most. Why? Because we're afraid of the violence and all the problems that comes without, if we don't do it, you know, we always have the option to move to Paraguay or do some weird, you know, things or tricks 
to avoid taxes, but they're lazy and we don't do that. So, you know, everyone has these kind of hypocrisies where we're doing things that are not necessarily the best thing to do, but in practice, the life is complicated. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting answer on that because I know it's a, it's a touchy topic and it's kind of turned people into, uh, being either on team samurai or team wasabi in the coin join wars, which it's not even really a, that huge of a thing, but, but for some people who care about it, they care about it a lot. And the samurai, we're not really good here to talk about that, uh, but that there, there's its own issues or purported issues or, or whatnot there. But I've got kind of actually a practical question in terms of wasabi, it, not exactly versus samurai, but more like, how does it actually work in the coin join thing? Because there there was a change to this Wasabi 2.0, and it's a little more complicated than Wasabi 1.0, and it's certainly more complicated than Samurai, which has this kind of five in, five out thing. And Wasabi 2 seems to hide a lot of the details and uh, be a little more uh, opaque in terms of how th these things are, are running. I think you can dig into docs and stuff like that to find out exactly what's happening. But can you explain a little bit about how Wasabi now, Wasabi 2.0, actually works to effectively coin join and try to hide some of this stuff to break the uh, the the causal links between UTXOs? Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely. So uh, one of the biggest uh, issues with all the existing coin joints before Wasabi 2.0 was that they, like, they had these, you know, some standard denominations. Even in join market, you know, like you have to, let's say, in okay, let's take Wasabi 1.0 as an example. We had this like 0.1 Bitcoin minimum denomination. So everyone who wanted to coin join, they had to have at least 0.1 Bitcoin. The reason is that if you lower the amount a lot, it exposes you to easier and cheaper denial of service tax. So it would allow users to go ahead and register, try to coin join, but never sign the transaction, just keep disrupt disrupting everything. So that's why it had to have this like, you know, pretty high, uh, initial, like minimum denomination that the users should have. So at least let's say, even if you have one Bitcoin, you break it down into 10 different 0.1 Bitcoins, you could try to disrupt the round with each of those coins, but they will get banned for temp like temporarily uh, if they do not sign or, you know, go through the whole process. Now, the problem was that we, like with the 0.1 Bitcoin limit, it was exactly, well, unfeasible for many to try to even achieve or gain any privacy. So it was pretty bad. And also for those who had a very huge amount, it took a lot of time before they was able, they were able to break down all the coins into 0.1s that are, you know, uh, with equal amount outputs over there in the coin joint transaction. So what we did is we had to go ahead and try to figure out a way of how to do arbitrary amount coin joints so that there wouldn't be just, you know, one standard denomination. Um, well, it was because that has two problems, you know, standard denomination has the problem like, if you have multiple inputs, let's say 0, 0.00 something, whatever, you have multiple of these. If you, if you want to coin join that 0 0.1 Bitcoin pool, you would have to cluster all of these multiple small inputs together. So you get, get to that coin join. One. That is a privacy problem. The other one is that if you had, let's say more than 0 0.1, you will get that 0 0.1 as a private coin, but you will also get a so-called toxic change output from the coin join. 
And that can still be linked to the original input and, you know, can be followed. And it's, it's bad for privacy, all of that. Now, what we did with 2.0 is exactly that with these arbitrary amount coin joins, we are able to, first of all, um, we're able to make sure that there is very, very rarely any change output coming from a coin join. So basically all of the outputs that are coming from a coin join, they should be private. There is this exception of like, if you are a very, very huge whale compared to everyone else in the coin join transaction, it's going to take some time before you get your privacy. It's like, you know, hiding an elephant within ads. But uh, yeah, so that doesn't really work. Um, but yeah, so that was one of the things that the 2.0 solves. So no toxic change output usually in the coin joint transactions. The other thing is that we have this like new cryptographical protocol that enable people to register basically any amount that is above or 5,000 Satoshis or above. And like that, that enables people exactly to like more and more people to coin join now and reclaim their privacy. And yeah, it also, the, this new cryptographical protocol that we came up with, it enables people to go ahead and register each of these inputs separately. So there won't be any linkage between them, uh, that, you know, these two are probably linked together because otherwise there wouldn't be this minimum denomination. But now it's exactly that there is no minimum denomination, so no none inputs can be linked together. It's really difficult to explain, but you can see it exactly in the coin join transaction itself. So now we are able to do these like huge coin joins with what like I think the record is exactly more than four hundred inputs and four hundred outputs. If you think about it in a like Sudoku perspective, you know, it's a huge Sudoku compared to, you know, just a five inputs, five outputs. Uh, like uh, the probabilities of what could have gone where are much smaller, the smaller your coin join is. And yeah, these, I think were the like basic, uh, like the main improvements, basically just removing that minimum denomination. So more people can reclaim their privacy and more efficient. I love how, uh, like people like you and Max, how, how you, uh, how you think about these things and, in, in, in terms of just first what is the problem and then how do we solve the problem and then you just like work on it at, until you come up with a solution and through through wasabi 2.0 uh seems like bitcoin privacy is a problem that is actually solved at this point if you, if you just follow the best, best practices you you can you can have kyc free bitcoin everywhere and uh, more than that like the more of these coin joins uh bitcoins there there are i would say that the the non-coin joined ones are are safer as well because you cannot make the same types of assumptions as you could before not not even the ones that are you know just straight off from the exchange and on chain it, it's harder to link uh, to draw conclusions when when all of these mechanisms are in in, in place and and uh you know, it gets harder to prove anything, and that mm -hmm. th th this leads me to a, a a thing I think about a lot in in terms of like what Bitcoin is and how we should interact with it. I often think about what would have happened if the words money or cash have had never been mentioned in the white paper, so that Bitcoin was just what it is, which is mathematics and information. It's a it's a bit of code. There's no 
there's no reason to why we should call this thing money really it's it's just a a way of agreeing on a fixed set of rules uh that we can run in the back of our heads that enables us to interact with one another in ways we previously couldn't and when, when you see it that way you see it lets you see more clearly that all emperors are naked because you realize <laughs> that we we had this ability all along to to just you know do things consensually and interact with one another in ways from which we could all benefit. So I, I see it like the rules of chess. Uh, uh, I've done this analogy many times, but if you know the rules of chess, you can play the game with every other chess player in the world. If you choose to play without pawns, uh, you can't play with very many players. If you choose to play with, you know, on a 64 times 64 squared board with the same amount of pieces you're playing chess cash and that doesn't work because no one wants to play it and if you play with all sorts of strange pieces that nobody knows how they work you're playing chess th uh, chess theorem and uh, it doesn't work in the long run <laughs> and uh uh so so even if some big institution said that these are the rules of chess now they would need the entire community to agree with them in order to implement anything and this is exactly how bitcoin works and if you know the rules you can you can enjoy playing with the other players in the game it's just that bitcoin is not not a game of chess it's a game of absolutely fucking everything <laughs> because it enables us to play any game we'd like to play uh including you know trading our time and our effort and our stuff for for other things so mm -hmm. and this is how we should view the world and uh anything that is there to help this tool become you know even more powerful is obviously a positive thing because what what it couldn't be anything else than positive because like like the consensus rules of bitcoin what they mean like if everyone needs to agree for a change to be implemented that means that bitcoin can only get better and since bitcoin can only get better over time and bitcoin exists that means humanity can only get better uh, over time from this point so i'm like insanely bullish on everything in the future because everything can be connected to bitcoin so that's why i, I choose to be an optimist uh, in a world where every everyone sees like a dark constant food to the face future we have these tools and they work uh, and they can be used for absolutely anything you want so so i think we have a very good chance of getting to a much much better place in the future because of the power of these tools so uh yeah end of rant there's no question in there <laughs> yeah, that's that's very interesting analogy yeah that's a, that, like the chessboard thingy that's, a, that's actually pretty interesting like if you go ahead and broaden the the size of the board, you know a lot of the squares are just going to be unused, basically. Probably, yeah. you know, or, you know, it's going to be and it's going to be more expensive to to store the board. Yeah, very good, interesting analogy. Yeah, and the, you can uh, one player can steal another player's pieces, uh, something like that, and then all the exchanges delist that uh, particular chessboard. Well, the the point is that if there's a committee that decides on the rules. Uh, then they can change the rules to their advantage mid-game at all times. So that's what we want to avoid. And that's what chess is, and that's what Bitcoin is, and few other things are like that. So, so like 
that's why chess is a good analogy in my mind. Yep. I, I, I like this framing of like, forget about money. This is a way to interact. This is a, a, a set of mathematics. Use them in any way you want. It, it prevents a specific number from being replicated on the internet. Use that in any way you like, because that's all it is. That's all it is. It's just resistance to replicability on the internet. A one-ton discovery that cannot be replicated. And it's up to each and every one of us to figure out how to use that more efficiently. That's it. That's what Bitcoin mm -hmm. is. Yeah, that's interesting because I, yeah, I think that could be like, you know, very much, you know, philosophically valid argument to say about Bitcoin. And I think there's a lot, like there's very few of these good philosophical arguments of like what Bitcoin actually is. It's just math. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and math is powerful. You can use math to figure things out. And Bitcoin is a piece of math that can be used to figure out how to thrive in the world. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's very powerful in that sense. Speaking of philosophy, there, there are an, a bunch of other philosophical topics you want to discuss with us. Just to give a little bit of like background information, I consider myself to be exactly like a philosopher type of a guy. So what I really care the most is what is uh, philosophy. So it's usually defined as like love for wisdom. And yeah, I definitely have that, you know, and I really like this, like, you know, F.A. Hayek quote, I would rather get true, but unfinished knowledge rather than a pretense of truth. I also very much agree with that. Like, I rather want to know exactly what is the harsh truth rather than, you know, strive for conformity of everyone being happy together and, you yeah. know, holding hands and singing, singing Kumbaya. Like, so you don't uh, want to be lulled into a false sense of security, basically. Yeah. Which yeah, is exactly. why you work for Wasabi. <laughs> yeah. Started now examining a little bit more, like closely enough. From a philosophical perspective, are like some of these words that we use, or some of the definitions that we use, and even in like you know privacy projects. Privacy itself, it's a very weird word, and I think that many people are using it totally wrong, very very often. If you dig deeper into what privacy is, people usually tend to say that it's an ability for you to selectively reveal yourself to the world. I do really much appreciate privacy, but for, but this exact definition doesn't really make sense. And why? Because it's like, what is an ability? Ability is usually some kind of skills or, you know, thing, uh, some kind of things that you could be doing. Like for example, let's say, uh, seeing is ability or jumping is an ability, or let's say you might have some financial abilities, whatever. They are a scale. You don't usually just, you know, you have total financial ability or total uh, ability to see. No, it's always, there's some limits. You can't see everywhere, you know, like the back of your head all the time. There are some limits to it. All of these abilities have limits. Now, privacy also, it's kind of, you know, it has to be a gradient too. Because if you think about it, the, the second part, being able to selectively reveal yourself to the world, are you ever really actually able to selectively reveal yourself to the world? Does that actually make sense? When you're a baby, when you get born, usually at least like people don't have any privacy, like everything is going to be looked into by doctors and your parents and like many other people. Privacy is a thing that comes up, you know, later in life, you, you start 
wondering like, oh, okay, maybe it would be nice to not go ahead and spew everything that I have, all the thoughts that I have in my mind to just, you know, out there or to show everyone everything I have. If I, I have something cool, I know that some other people might want it. So I put it in my pocket. Those are, you know, the simple, small things why we, where we want to kind of like start wanting to get privacy. And I think it is a very important thing. It's a very, very important and crucial part of the whole human experience. Yeah, we, we practice a lot when we're in private. We think a lot of things that we don't want to say out loud. Like privacy is a very, very important part, but it's not something that you can just say that something is private. Like let's say Facebook is private or it's not private. Like that doesn't really make sense. It would say, it would mean basically like Facebook is an ability, is it? And like, can you really selectively reveal yourself in it? That doesn't really make sense. Being selectively able to reveal yourself kind of includes that you could want to give all your information to the public. Like for example, now that I'm being on the camera, I'm showing my face. I'm kind of choosing to do that. So this should be okay from privacy perspective, you know, for me at least. And that's the point. Privacy is subjective. It's not something you can just say and, you know, Facebook is private or it's not. No, it really depends for who. For you, it might not give you the ability to choose what you reveal from yourself, but well, welcome to the world. There's a lot of things where you can't choose from whatever like options you get in your mind. There's reality. And there's usually a reason in a market if people are not offering you exactly what you want. And yeah, I mean, of course, complaining about it, it's okay. You're signaling to the market that this should be done, but there's usually exactly like, you know, either financial or, you know, regulatory reasons why it's not being done. So what we can do is just select from bad options, just like you know, in politics. Yeah. And you, you don't know what, when you choose to, to show your face here on this show, uh, the first thing is that you don't know what Zoom is doing with the data. They might be saving it and selling it to some face recognition company. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you might end up like fueling your own social credit score by just being in a video. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. true for all video recording software. So it's a very tricky thing today. But what I think personally, it's that like everything else, it probably boils down to, to property rights. I changed my views on, on freedom of speech after having read Rothbard. The question people forget to ask themselves is freedom of speech where? Because freedom of speech implies that there is a public space somewhere where there needs to be like a permission to say whatever you want. If we had absolute property rights, we could decide for ourselves what to say if we're on our own property. And we could also decide the rules for every, every guest we invite to our, to our property. So I think that somewhere in property rights, it probably uh, is probably the, uh, the, the, the answer to the problem of privacy and the definition of the word probably lies something somewhere in, in the uh, property rights realm as well. You can't really prevent internet companies or electronics companies from, from using information that you provide to them. What you can do is choose to use software that is designed with privacy in mind and that is end-to-end encrypted and so on. and uh, the, companies that take care in not revealing too much to, to government institutions, because therein lies the problem. Like the people who want to coercively force people into one behavior or another, they're always the bad guy. They're always 
the, the, the ones that aren't providing something of value back. That's why you need privacy, because you need to hide from these people. If there were no bad actors, you wouldn't need any privacy. You could go around doing the helicopter with your schlong everywhere and no one would care. But, <laughs> but uh, this is not the case. This is not the world we live in. We live in a world where, where we have to adapt to the will of actors that do not have the best of intent at all times. I just think that like, if people focus more on property rights, uh, they would get a more coherent view of what the world really is and how it really operates. And they would understand why tools like Wasabi are needed because you, no one will give privacy to you. You have to figure it out yourself. If you want to be stay private, you need to take responsibility for that course of action. You need to be in, in the driver's seat, which is what Bitcoin is all about. It's about reclaiming the driver's seat of your life. Yeah, I very much agree. And that's the thing, like I, in my opinion, if people would be more examining these kind of, you know, things and the words that we're using or all of these, like if we would examine these philosophically, I think that that would also exactly like, you know, get us closer to the truth and, you know, something useful. And I very much agree, like, you know, privacy is very, very important. What I'm really bothered by is exactly like this current definition that many people use it. Like that doesn't really seem to make sense to me, but it's also, you know, something like, uh, for example, beauty or quality. It's also something, you know, very, very difficult to actually define. Yeah, uh, like what it is. And, you know, it's, it's kind of exactly like a gradient also, maybe according to some theories, but, but yeah, it would be exactly just very important to understand. It's understandable that we use the word privacy to indicate, to communicate something. But if we really get into the weeds of it, we should make sure that the definitions actually make sense. I also very much agree, like Bitcoin, and it's one of the most important things, in my opinion, is kind of like that it's not necessarily money, like you mentioned, like it, it wouldn't have to be called money, but it's kind of like a, a fuck you protocol. And I really like that. You know, it's basically what I really personally think about that, like this privacy stuff also is that whenever you get proposed two options, you usually can define which one is more private or like which gives you more ability to hide yourself or reveal yourself, you can usually choose from these. And for me, exactly, it's that I don't want everyone or anyone to really know anything about me that I don't want to reveal. And that is exactly the point of Bitcoin. Even though we don't have this definition necessarily clear, it is clear that I don't want other people poking around on my stuff. So that is already like enough for me to know that privacy is worth it, even though the definition is still a bit unclear. Yeah, it's funny that you say fuck you protocol because the irony here is that this ability to say fuck you is what mm. enables us to love one another more and interact voluntarily so there's a yep. there's a, a a fine line between fucking and loving here which is the way it's supposed to be i guess yep. in a sense <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, if if people want the truth they have to give people the optionality to speak freely you know and money is one type of speech you should be able to refrain yourself from like yeah. communicating in this monetary protocol with whatever whoever you want, but also to be able to communicate. Yeah, the the, the thing about when, when you say truth, I recall the recent debates that in, internet intellectuals have had about like they try to define the word truth. What does truth mean? And uh, is truth subjective? Is it objective? M my theory about this, if uh, the methodology is like. The words true and false 
they're binary. They're the very definition of binary. The smallest building blocks of communication we have. If there's no clear definition of what true means, then you can't define any other word either. Because you have to have a co coherent view of what true and false means in order to mm. define anything. So debating the meaning of the word truth is pointless. Like if there's no objective truth, the word true makes no sense, which means communicating is, is pointless and therefore any type of argumentation is pointless. It's like free will. You, you have no choice but to have free will. If, if you didn't have free will, there would be no point in doing anything. So we have to take like free will and a, a coherent view of what's true and what true and false mean in order to communicate at all. This type of first principles thinking is necessary in order to, to get anywhere with anything. And, and like you say, the words, the word privacy is ill-defined. Uh, the word uh, beauty is very ill-defined. All of these words are very hard to define. Mm -hmm. the, the word God is hard to define for some people. So I think any, any philosophical argument needs to be grounded in first principles thinking be uh -huh. because of definitions. If, if, if you're not rooted in first principles, you, you get the definitions wrong and you're eventually going to head bump because you, you meant something else than what you actually communicated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I really like, that's the thing. I, I use uh, some of the words sometimes myself, even, you know, like wrong, just because I, it's really, very difficult to exactly use the, always the correct words. You know, we have a lot of these, like we understand certain things with certain words, but the definitions might not actually be clear. Uh, but uh, about truth, I really don't know what it would be. Like that's, you know, the thing that uh, even Plato and Aristotle was arguing like, you know, 2,500 years ago. Like if, if the truth is more of like, you know, the stuff that happens kind of like in our mind, or is it the physical reality? Like if, uh, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to see it, that, did it actually happen or not? That's a, you know, a really, really long debate that no one has even till this day actually being able to properly solve. And that is oh. something that I feel like, or I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of theories, but apparently yes, as far as I knew, like it, it's all like all the theories are controversial. The thing is people have forgotten that these are difficult questions. Like people have kind of like, you know, you jumped into this mentality of like, oh, it's modern age, we should know everything, you know? And if there is no like definite answer or if something is like not, there is no real definite answer to a question. People just tend to, you know, pick one of the options just randomly, like, ah, I just want to have certainty into this. And they are not kind of like accepting that we don't know. Yeah, I've noticed this a lot too, because it's a very good tool to have to, to be fine with not knowing stuff. If, if you can accept that some, some things are unknowable, or at least that you don't know the answer and be fine with that, you can go on and figure other stuff out. So admitting to oneself that there are known unknowns, there are unknown unknowns, and that's fine. We cannot know everything. Then we can start focusing on what, what we can actually figure out and not. Mm -hmm. And I think there is exactly like in philosophy, they have these like words they use usually is like valid or false, which I think those actually make sense. So if you make some certain, let's say like 
pre-assumptions and the conclusion is, you know, it can be valid or, you know, invalid, like false. But those are kind of like, you know, interesting. So even if the actual claim is not necessarily true, the claim can be valid. Right? Uh, like, it's a good yeah, word. yeah, like uh, you can have a lot of these like, you know, premises. And if the premises build up a solid like conclusion, it is a valid argument. But it not, it's not, doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Uh, so as, a, as an example, like let's say, Socrates had a beard, or like most of the people in his, in Socrates, uh, his time had a beard. So very likely Socrates had a beard. Like this is a valid argument. Uh, like it's based on probabilities. It's not like, you know, necessarily like that. And we don't know the truth, but the argument is kind of like, okay, it makes sense. Like according to the probabilities, if most of the people had beard back then and well, Socrates was one of the guys, well, it's kind of likely that he had a beard. This is logical, but it's not, we can't really prove by that, that it's true. You know, it's just valid arguments. Valid as a, as a word, uh, opposed to the word true, it, it implies that there's a certain context. Mm -hmm. The word, the word true sort of implies that it's absolutely true in a way that that's a bigger context, but it also limits the the things the things that could be proven to be absolutely true are very few like mm -hmm. about the only thing is i think therefore is some thinking is going on somewhere that's the only thing you can deductively reason yourself to be absolutely true and not exactly. in the context context of anything else valid is a good word i should use it more often to yeah i should too yeah. Yeah. Descartes was a, like a genius guy for actually figuring that out. Like, you know, I think, therefore I am. That is actually one of the, as far as I know, one of the only things that we can pretty certain, certainly say that that is true. We don't know if, where are we thinking? What is, well, the, 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 I, I said happening. the, uh, yeah. I, I said the updated said version the of the court, uh, I, is, yep. which is not from Descartes, but it's been, you know, Descartes has been debated and the, the current absolutely true version of the, the statement that used to be absolutely true is, I think therefore some thinking is going on somewhere. <laughs> yes. Yes. I really like that. That is a very good. Yeah, even better version. <laughs> it's even more boiled down to it's. It's like you had a, you had a liter of uh, chicken stock, and now it's just something on the bottom of the. <laughs> it's it's yep. even closer. It's even tastier. Yeah, Descartes. Uh, where are we, Luke? Uh, fill me in here. Where 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 are you at in your thought process here? Well, I've got I've got a few things. Uh, I could take us back back to to kind of um, a more grounded question or i could fling us back into since you mentioned uh uh god do you want god or do you want politics let's go with god <laughs> that's very but that's more rare you know people okay. like a lot of bitcoiners like to talk about politics I, before i forget before i forget I, I i hate to do this but it's it's my brain uh when when i think is i immediately forget it again and uh like so the thing i wanted to mention was hoppus argumentation ethics are you aware of those Max Hillebrand recommended the book Economic Theory and the Austrian Method by Hans Hermann Hoppe to me. And in, in, in that book, he lays out the argumentation ethics, which is like profound insights about 
how to arrive at the truth when, when, when the truth is opinionated. So if you haven't read up on that, I really recommend that book. Anyway, back to you. Just, yeah, sorry, sorry for interrupting. No, I was. I, I think the only uh, track to kind of put us on here is you, you mentioned the definition of God. And I think that is a relevant question these days in Bitcoin circles, especially in the sense of that there are a lot of Bitcoiners out there who are Christians or re-found Christians through Bitcoin because Bitcoin when you join some kind of grouping or tribe or certain ideas start to make sense, other ideas seem to start to make sense. And uh, somehow Christianity and Bitcoin have have uh, fallen in together uh, a fair bit. But the definition of God is not true for every person. And certainly not every person into Bitcoin is also going to be a Christian of any denomination. So I, I think this is one of those topics that uh, everyone here has some ideas about. So. Rafael, why don't you start? Uh, okay, so I maybe have to give some warnings first because like I have very, very harsh opinions about these kind of stuff. Like I consider myself uh, more like agnostic. I'm not uh, totally mm, like non-believer, but I'm definitely not a believer either. I'm in a phase of like, I don't know. And I just honestly, I don't know. I don't know if there is no God, if there is one God, if there is multiple gods, I have no idea. But in my opinion, the most logical conclusion is that there's probably no God. If there is God, there's probably multiple. If there is only one God, he's probably bad. So I would just want to warn all of the viewers already who are very passionate about these kind of stuff. It might be better for you to not hear this. Because wait, wait, uh, like <laughs> our viewers, I hope that they completely agreed with all everything you just said, because this is exactly where I'm coming from too. So, so mm -hmm. yeah, and this should not be the position that people get upset about. The opposite should be true. They should be upset if someone had any other views than this. So go on. Mm -hmm. Starting from the definitions of like, I don't really know how to define God. Let, let's maybe get that in, uh, into that a little bit like later, but let's start with first like religion. You know, what does it mean? Like I would uh, first consider like, you know, religions are stories based on these books or whatever, like whatever other people have said. And these books are, yeah, sorry, Knuth, go ahead. I would say it's a collective belief. Yeah. That's it. C collective belief about something, uh, something about reality that cannot be proven by, by neither by empirical evidence or deductive reasoning can't be proven, but yeah. people collectively believe in it anyway, for some odd reason. But would you consider that Bitcoin is a religion then? No, I, I described it in my first book as financial atheism because it's the and every other currency as a religious cult because mm. it's the first time we've had something that we can verify every step of the the type of money that requires the least amount of belief mm. uh, in order to yep. verify its its supply. I've drawn many other conclusions about Bitcoin and Bitcoin is the thing in the world that has drawn me to almost spiritual conclusions the most. Definitely. And one of them is that Pascal's wager, which never made any sense to me, makes sense if you apply it to Bitcoin. So if I act as if Bitcoin exists, I actually increase its chances of long-term survival. 
which is akin to how Terry Pratchett describes religion in his Discworld books. The gods exist because of people believe in them. So they come into being because of people's belief in them, uh, <laughs> which, which is a, a fun way to look at it. But uh, f for me, Pascal's wager, like uh, the, the original wager is if, if, if you don't know if God exists or not, but if he does, you'll burn in hell if, uh, if you don't believe in him. So you, you better just believe in him. And that's, that's the disregarding mm -hmm. the 5,000 other religions that are out there. But if yep. you apply it to Bitcoin, it actually works because it, it's, it's like a reverse Rokos Basilisk, if you're aware of that concept. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you yeah. explain that one. Rokos Basilisk has been called the most dangerous thought ever, uh, ever, <laughs> ever thunk. Spoilers. <laughs> if you don't want to think the most dangerous thought ever, stop listening right now. It's about a, a, an AI in the future. You imagine an AI system in the future that will punish everyone who didn't help make it come into being. So it's sort of a Pascal's wager around that. So you better start working on that AI that will somehow uh, inevitably take over the world. Otherwise, it will punish you and your family once it does. <laughs> so, uh, and when you think that through, it's, pr it's a pretty scary thought. And uh, I think uh, Bitcoin is sort of the... Uh, inverse of that if you help this thing come into being and if you help it succeed you will be greatly rewarded in the future and in a way uh, a reward for those people who do is a punishment for those who don't so it's 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 closely related to roku's basilisk in that sense very interesting yeah yeah just to uh get back a little bit to uh, like uh back to god and religion related stuff like mm. uh, just to define first like i think that you know liberal uh, religion are usually these kind of things where you have like a, you have some kind of a story, but, uh, and it's usually, you know, based on some books or some stories that have been put into a book. Uh, but it's usually like the, the thing that differentiates, in my opinion, like for example, spirituality and religion is that religion has already all the answers. Now it's dogmatic. Like if, yeah. So if you think about like, what am I? Where am I going? Where did I come from? What is my purpose? Like basically religion tells you that everything, like all of the answers for these questions can be found in the book. You just have to examine the book enough and you will find all the answers over there. You don't have to question anymore. These kind of like, you know, big things are already taught through and you know, it's just reading the answer. In there. Now, spirituality is something that I would consider more of like, you're not yet certain about you're exactly looking for something. You are not yet uh, like satisfied with the current options or, you know, ideas or thoughts or theories that are out there. You're still looking. So that's the difference between those two. Now, what is belief? Uh, I think the definition was something like, uh, it's a, a personal attitude of truth. So if you say that believe in something, it means that you assume that this is true and when you assume something is true, you don't question. If you are questioning, in my opinion, you can't really say that you are believing. No, it's either or. You're so, either so, a so a belief is an assumption that you don't question. Basically, yeah, that's the base, like the normal definition. I know that I'm looking at it. It's propositional attitude of truth. You're kind of like having this attitude that this is the truth. W without any grounds for the claims you're making. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. 
And there's like, I really appreciate a lot of like, you know, religious people, like many religious people are Bitcoiners and the other way around. Like I have a friend who is Muslim, uh, Bitcoiner, and he's, I really like to talk with these kind of topics with him because he's really inconsistent. He exactly says that if he believes he shouldn't be questioning any of these things. And even if something in the book doesn't make to him sense, he shouldn't question it. That is true belief. Uh, I, I really like appreciate that. Like, it doesn't matter if it's like illogical or if I don't understand it, he just has to obey the book because that is true belief. That sounds actually logical. For, for, for better or worse, it provides people with some sort of consistency over generations. That's if, if I'm going to, to, to give it the, you know, the benefit yeah. of the doubt that that's, that's the good thing that religion brought. There's also the thing, which I really wonder exactly about Bitcoiners. I don't remember who was this philosopher who was saying that good men don't need laws to tell them how to act responsibly. And I think you well, Bitcoiners very, very much agree, but that's the thing. Why would you need a God and his rules to act responsibly? That yeah. doesn't make any sense. No, it makes no sense at all. What's that Christopher Hitchens quote I really love? The burden of proof is on the one making the claim, not the one refuting it. If you have that attitude, it makes it easier to put all of these questions into perspective because the burden of proof from the religious community, it's really on them because they're claiming that some something to be true. If we go into definitions again, the way I define the word atheist, and this is, I guess, from Richard Dawkins book, uh, it's very close to how I define it. It's just it's just the lack of a belief in a claim. It's it's nothing more than that. It says nothing about how much I believe in evolutionary theory or the Big Bang or whatever. That has nothing to do with the word atheist. The, the, the word atheist is, I do not believe in these theories of a uh, creator or an omnipotent being. That's not for me. Thank you very much. But the burden of proof is on you. I re refuse to believe it and, until you give me some evidence. For me, I really think that whatever makes people happy, and as long as they don't come and try to mess around with me and my stuff, I'm totally okay with like believing Spaghetti Monster if you want to. I don't really care. But what I really like, I can't stay quiet is exactly the hypocrisy. And I'm not saying like, you know, I'll, probably everyone has some uh, things that they are kind of hypocrite about, but exactly the thing of like from Bitcoiners perspective, like this God believing thing, like the same people keep saying, like, don't trust, but verify, but then they go ahead and try believing God. Like that just to me is very weird. And also because like, if they would be at these, you know, religious people, if they exactly obey at least one of whatever the books that are out there, it would be at least like, you know, somehow consistent. But what bothers me is exactly like what I had to go through when I was young. Like I was raised in a like more or less Christian family. And I actually tried to really believe, like, I really, like, I, you know, I had this, like, oh, my dad believes, so I have to try to believe him too. And he's probably a smart guy. So I probably, like, he knows. This shit. So I went and tried to read uh, the Bible and I actually read it through when I was like some very, like pretty young, something like between 10 to 15 years old, I went to start reading Bible and that just pushed me further and further away from any religion. It just didn't make any sense. And I also went through, like when I was exactly that age, I went to the Pascal's wager. I didn't even know about Pascal's wager, but I figured it out myself. Like, Hey, according to the game theory, 
I think it would be more beneficial for me to go ahead and just believe, or at least try to believe, because then at least I have a free ticket for like passage to, he- uh, to heaven. But if I don't, the punishment is that I go to hell. So it sounds pretty bad. Game theory suggests that I should just try to believe. So I tried to do that too. But I realized that, man, if God is uh, like, um, if we have an omni God who knows everything and you know, all of that, he will know that I'm lying and I'm just like believing in him just because I want to save my ass. I don't think that he will like it. Like, I think that he would actually prefer me to say that I just don't know. Uh, like, you know, I think at least then I'm being honest. And I, I would assume that this, like, if the God is good, he would appreciate more of me being honest and like, you know, just pretending to believe. Yeah. But, but you said before that you, uh, you don't believe uh, if there's a creator, uh, this being would is not good. That's the thing. If you read the Bible, which in my opinion, I, I am afraid that very few of the people who call themselves themselves like that they are believers or they they abide by some religion, they haven't even read the book. Because if they would, they would realize that most of the things that people are saying about religions or God doesn't really make any sense. Like, uh, for example, yeah, this idea, first of all, like, for example, about Omni-God, so who is like all powerful, like, uh, omnibenevolent, you know, he knows everything. He's basically everywhere at the same time. He has all the power. First of all, that is never mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere is no one saying that God is Omni, that he will have all of this knowledge. No. If you look at the Old Testament, there's a bunch of stories about God being angry, like he changes his mind sometimes. He's like, he even wipes out whole populations sometimes. You know, he forces people basically to do shit. Like, if you really read that through, it doesn't really seem that he would be such an, a good guy. Like, no. you really have to do some, you know, like, mind-boggling, you know, like, mental gymnastics to be able to figure out, like, oh, but that's still fine. They just consider this. If Noah would have said, like the guy who so-called built an ark to save all the animals from big flood, what if he would have said no to God? What would the God have done? Well, screw you then, I'll kill you and just get some other guy uh, to do this boat. Would that be the case? Or what would have happened if you just tell God to fuck off? Like, there's no option, like, given even in the Bible for that. If God, like, just go ahead and, you know, kill you if you don't do what he- whatever he says, it means that he doesn't really give you a free will or options like the mother. He's really like just forcing you to do something or he goes ahead and plays some mental gymnastics or threaten you with eternal suffering if you don't do it. So that's not, not nice either. No, yes, and, more and logical. That, <laughs> yeah. And, and there's no mention of the fact that there are 5,000 different species of bats and he would have needed like a, <laughs> At least 10,000 bats on the ark. Uh, <laughs> if you only have a pair of all animals, or, you know, it's basically that everyone yeah. is incest. Like, that's a bit weird. To give, play the devil's advocate here, I, I, I think most Christians, uh, uh, you know, disregard the, the Old Testament, which is fun, because those, those who allegedly believe in it are the Jews, and uh, uh, they are the, like, the least religious religious group there is. <laughs> Well, there, there's some there's some reasons for for that in the Old Testament versus everything that's new about this omni god stuff to actually be quite a bit different because originally the the Christian God was just the same as 
almost all the other gods. It was one in a big pantheon. Like the the god Yahweh was some kind of local god for the, I guess, Canaanite people, but there were others. There's others mentioned in the Bible. Baal, El is another name for a god in the... Captain America, Hulk, yeah. Right, exactly. Captain America, yeah, that's in the Bible there somewhere too. So, But the thing about this with the personalities and, and all that is because these gods were archetypal figures and and this is something that that i subscribe to generally or at, at least this this track makes sense is that the way gods developed was the stories that helped guide people in a certain direction eventually got synthesized from you can't remember the the guy who did the awesome thing three generations later you don't remember his name you just remember that he did this awesome thing and here's what it was and to remember that you create a hero and to remember the hero or, or once the hero has done so many good things that starts to become a god and gods tend to be associated with one thing or another because there are so many elements of human behavior and so many stories to tell that not all of them are done by the same single one until that eventually and and this is more a, a jordan peterson type thing this it all tends to converge into this singularity of one god one hero is the thing that is supposed to be the the thing you you set your life towards sort of thing so the theory i think to that perspective is that the older stages of gods are kind of this intermediate phase where humanity hadn't quite got to the end where we are supposed to believe in this omni god i don't i don't quite get that well, well, we're not there. Not even Christians are there quite there yet today. They because there's the Trinity: the 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 Father, the 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 Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's not one. That's three uh, different expressions of basically the same thing. You may say, say, but but still three. My latest like beef with with the the thought of a a an omnipotent being or a a being that is you know indestructible and immortal is the uh, the praxeological perspective why would a being like that act at all uh, because if you if you have if you can postpone every action indefinitely you'd never act because you you would never have the incentive to act so being like that wouldn't do anything about anything so so if if there is such a being out there in reality today it won't act Therefore, we don't need to think about that thing because it's not going to do anything. And if it preceded time, if time had a beginning, uh, which everything points to, uh, in which empirical evidence points to, <laughs> then uh, this being would have acted before that then. Then you run into this infinite loop argument that what created the creator and so on, and what created the creator of the created. So, So there's always... There's always like the, the the arguments are always circular. It's like the other one, like, oh, look at how fine tuned all the parameters of the universe really are, and uh, like uh, this must have been designed because it's so yeah. fine tuned. And the answer to that is obvious. If it wasn't this way, you wouldn't have been here to observe it. So it needed to be that way. Like you don't know if it's just one of a gazillion multiverses that, that and all the others have no, uh, you know sentient being sentient beings whatsoever uh it's just that 
you wouldn't be able to be here to observe anything if things weren't the way they were. And if you weren't wired in your brain the way that you, you are. And here we come back to Descartes and like, is reality the way it is? Because you, I, I mean, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world the way we are. There's one theory that I particularly like at the moment. Uh, I tend to bounce, bounce around a lot, but it's the, uh, the meme theory of everything that, that reality is just where our subjective interpretations of it converge. So what we describe as reality, when we knock on wood or like, you can see this Coke can here represented through ones and zeros through uh, your computer screen and everything. We all recognize what it is. And it, because our subjective interpretations of what's actually going on converge up on this point somehow, which you can think a lot more about this and come come to other conclusions like this is why there's like a consciousness horizon and therefore it explains the fermi paradox and why we don't see life anywhere else out in the universe because it, the, the the time difference would, would be so big that we couldn't converge on a single truth it would explain why the uh, signals we get from the uh, what's it called the apollo the uh, um no, Apollo or the moon landings, right? Well, what's the, what's the one that they sent away with a, an LP on it and a golden plate and what, what not? Oh, I should know this. The Voyager? Yeah. That one, the signals we get from that doesn't really make sense. And that makes sense if the meme theory of everything is correct. And <laughs> so, so th there are a couple of things that could debunk this theory. Like if we found extraterrestrial lives uh, outside of our solar system, for instance, and stuff like that. But I, t I tend to view things as more or less plausible. Mm. Descartes, Descartes is the starting point. First principles can help you navigate life. And uh, what is more or less plausible? If you, if you have that lens, it's easier to navigate the world and easier to navigate philosophy, I think. Hey, Luke, can you tell our listeners a bit more about the Consensus Network, the platform that this show is on and the publishing house that publishes my books? What is the Consensus Network, Luke? Thanks, Knut. The Consensus Network is a Bitcoin-only publisher and translator. In other words, translates Bitcoin books into all sorts of languages. Anyone who's interested in translating a book into their language can get in touch with the Consensus Network to help translate and spread the Bitcoin message throughout the world. We have lots of great examples here. Knut's books are some of the most popular on the site. Check out consensus.network or bitcoinbook.shop to see everything that Consensus has to offer. That's bitcoinbook.shop. Use the affiliate code FOOTPRINT for 10% off. Knut, can you tell us about how to get in touch with you and find out more about your stuff and the things that you're involved in these days? Yeah, sure, Luke. So I'm at Knut Svanum on Twitter. I also have a website, knutsvanum.com, where you can find all of my books. There's a whole bunch of books. These old two ones, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined, are being rehashed into one book that's coming out with a foreword by Prince Philip. I'm also making a wine. I'm not making this wine, but this is a wine bottle with a Bitcoin B on it that you can sign up for on my website. And you can also find all sorts of everything divided merch if you're interested in that. So uh, that's how you support me. I very much agree. Like, you know, I... I... I really like this, uh, you know, way of seeing the world that we don't necessarily know anything, but we can kind of discard something at least as bullshit. The same thing that I think Giacomo Zucco once said about Bitcoin, 
Like, we don't know what will happen with Bitcoin, but we do know that fiat is not going to last. Like, no. that is clear. Like, that is the thing also. I don't know what is like, you know, what, who created us or all of that. Like, I do not know, but I kind of very much feel strongly that at least the stories that we've been presented, they don't make any fucking sense. No, they're so, not like, useful. That, yeah. That's the thing. They played out their role and they're not useful uh, anymore. So it's about the usefulness of ideas, really. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, uh, I wanted to mention about the, you know, the intelligent design argument for God. So usually, well, there's this, like, watchmaker analogy. You go ahead and, you know, in a forest uh, that, you know, that it's, like, you know, untouched for a long, long time or something like that. You go in a forest and you see there, uh, like, a pocket watch, for example. You pick up the watch and, you know, like, you start wondering, where did this come from? Like, is it likely that the nature just built this out of, like, you, you know, with the evolutionary, evolutionary theory that this got just built up by, like, randomly by, you know, nature? That is usually the argument that people are saying to kind of, like, say that even humans, we are, like, intelligently designed. Like, just like that clock, you kind of know that, hey, there's a maker for this. Like, no one could have actually made this, you know, this doesn't happen just randomly. But even in that analogy, I would say like that does not prove that there would be only one creator. Nothing prevents there to be exactly like a big group of gods actually who created all of this. And that's the weird thing also, like, you know, many Bitcoiners do know about this, like uh, this paper called Eye Pencil, which explains how basically no man by himself can actually go ahead and create a whole like pencil, you know, go ahead and got the wood for it and, you know, get some uh, yellow paint and go ahead and mine some lead and then go ahead and like get a little bit of copper somewhere and, you know, go to Brazil or somewhere in the jungle to get some rubber and put it all together. Like it's not a path that one man could do. We understand division of labor, but when it comes to God, it's like, oh, but he can, <laughs> you know, like, oh, he doesn't need more people. Like it's kind of, if you think about the probabilities, even that clock wasn't really just created by one guy, it's exactly a result of like many people, many iterations, many ideas, multiple different concepts coming from different places and someone maybe putting them all together. But it's kind of very unlikely that, well, it, ha it would have to be an omni-god if he would be able to figure all of this kind of stuff by himself out. And there's so many arguments against an omni-god that does, that does not make any sense that, in my opinion, it's just a, a weird theory. Like, yeah, it wouldn't do any work. There's a couple of things here. First of all, the clock in the forest thing doesn't make any sense because if the watchmaker was there by design, then the, the watch is there by design. But if the watchmaker is there by coincidence, then the watch is also there by coincidence. That reminds me of uh, the beginning of a uh, book by Kurt Vonnegut, All People fictional or non-fictional, dead or alive, are purely coincidental. Uh, like it's a disclaimer, not only for the book, but for, but for everything. We're here because of evolutionary processes. Uh, th th this theory, uh, and we can observe evolution, and it makes sense that some ideas survive and some don't. Uh, some things propagate and survive and reproduce, and some don't. Very few people deny that. What they fail to understand is that this applies to a pocket watch as well. Uh, a pocket watch is there because it was a better idea 
than every other idea. And humans that kept track of time had a better chance at survival than those that didn't. So therefore, the, the pocket watch is also a product of evolution. It is not designed in the way that like, oh, it, it's, it's there because there was a need for it in an evolutionary sense. So it's all connected. The, the watch mm -hmm. is a, as much a part of nature as the grass around it. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there's also like many arguments against like, you know, this whole watchmaker analogy or uh, theory, because like, if you think about it, yes, there's a lot of very cool things in the world that is kind of like very hard to explain, like, how did this come up? Well, of course, like maybe it was exactly like evolution enough, enough of time and, you know, these certain incentives that basically life in itself has, it's kind of like, yeah, it could actually like work by that. But the idea of like in the, in the watchmaker case that we say that just because this is a very clever design, uh, it has to be made by some higher art or your higher being, just like, you know, humans are such an, a great design that it has to be done by higher beings. But is it really, if you think about it, there's a lot of weird stuff that this so-called God also creates that is pretty ugly and horrible and completely useless. And even like against life itself, like, for example, why does men have nipple or uh, like nipples? Or why does like uh, dogs, for example, in their like front legs, they have kind of like thumbs, which never even touches the ground. It doesn't really do any, like, what's the point of that? You know, there's a lot of these, like not yeah. really that intelligently designed stuff too. So kind of counters also this like intelligent design. Uh, an interesting example of that is some nerve of a giraffe that goes like uh, from the brain and back and up again three times or something. And it's the same in every mammal. And an intelligent designer would obviously have just done it once. And so you can track all these things. And, you know, evolution is so obvious when you, when you understand what it is. It's been described such bad words, though, because we're, we're all back to definitions here. Like, it's first it was the survival of the strongest. And that's not true. It's not the survival of the most intelligent either. It's not even the survival of the fittest. It's the survival of those whoever survived. <laughs> and that's all it is. And when you look at it like that, and if you look at it from the evolutionary perspective of a gene, which is the only perspective you could have on these things, it's just like cells re reproducing. And the behaviors in more complex beings may or may not contribute to the survival of that cell. If a, a gene produces a very strong male warrior in in a humanoid <laughs> that's strong male warrior might actually be bad for the gene in the long run because it might be engaged in war and dying a lot so so it's it's not <laughs> from the genes perspective it's it's not that you know self-explanatory what is the the more or the less uh evolutionary advantageous behavior yeah, it's kind of like, you know, humans understanding exponentials, like it's damn difficult. And if you really think about exactly like all the different life forms, all the little, like little, like possibility that has possibly like gone through over here throughout like millions of years, like, damn, there would be so many iterations that we cannot really even grasp that. So I kind of, my logic would also say that kind of like the evolutionary theory makes the most sense from all of these possible theories, but I, I'm not like, you know, hundred percent certain of these kind of stuff.
uh, I try to keep myself like, you know, uh, that kind of small part where I keep that, you know, the door open for new ideas too. A thing about evolutionary biology that I've been thinking about lately, I'm, I'm only bringing this up because I'm writing about it at the moment. You have all these fear mongers, the mainstream media news outlets, like most, most, you know, news are bad news always. So you can see on the news that there's a war somewhere, there's climate change, there's, there are terrorists, there's a virus, there's all of these threats. And if you know anything about human psychology, it's because uh, we're much more prone to pay attention to bad news than to good ones. And for very good reason, like if someone's yelling tiger, it's, it's probably better to pay attention to that than if someone's saying, hey, look at this pretty flower. Like uh, th those those who paid attention to the word tiger, uh, the descendants of those people are more likely to be around than the ones who didn't. Just like when there's a tsunami, those people that go down and, and, and try to figure out where the, all the water went, those brains don't exist anymore and those that run up the hill do exist anymore. So there's a reason that a, uh, intelligence survives. Uh, mm -hmm and why we are prone to listen to bad news. The thing is, all these fearmongers have the same solution to, uh, uh, all, they always present the, the same solution to all of these fear, fear problems. So the solution to the war on drugs, the solution to terrorism, the solution to climate change, the solution to the virus, the solution to everything, it's always more political control. It's never less, uh, hey, there's a danger here, so we should get out of people's way. That, that's never presented as a solution. So there's there's something there about evolutionary biology and what we pay attention to. And if you understand these things, and if you see evolution for what it is, you can avoid falling into the trap of collective belief and, and, and falling for their narratives. And I think like uh, the, the fear of, of climate change to it's, or, or, any, or the virus to, to gain political control it's the same phenomenon as like the fear of God and hell and whatever. If you're sinner, you, you end up here. The, these mechanisms have been around for a long time and the, the state is no different from any other religion. It's just a mechanism for, for riling people up in order to control them better. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, end of rant again. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, that, that reminded me, like, imagine that. For those who actually believe in like omni God, who knows everything, of course, not all of them, but do those sort of same people also pray and ask something from God? Because yeah, that would be what weird. would be the point? Yeah, like why would you want to even try to change the mind of a God who already knows and has decided how this should go? Like, why would you even pray to for him to do anything different? Or do you think that you are smarter than him? You know, and even if the God would do what you said, it would probably be worse than what God initially thought that should is supposed to happen. So that is also weird. It's always also, arrogant on some level. It's always arrogant mm -hmm. on some level. Yep. Uh, also, just to uh, also uh, like you mentioned previously, like you know, uh, Old Testament is mostly talking about God stuff. So just to also hit on the people who believe in the New Testament stuff. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense either. Uh, you know, just think about it really. Like, there's many Bitcoiners who say that they actually believe in something like Jesus. What? Really? You believe that some woman back in the days, like 2000 years ago, got fucked by an angel 
and gave a bird to a man who can multiply fish and bread and can walk in front like on on like uh, on seas like really like if anyone would come today to you to tell that hey like i'm that kind of a guy you know and like no one would really believe like i got born by like my mother was never fucked but i just got born like you know randomly like yeah. that would be weird no one would believe you uh like that like why how come many bitcoiners exactly that keep saying like hey don't trust, uh, don't trust but verify they believe in this stuff like okay no, yeah and yeah, furthermore sense. if if your wife tells you that she got pregnant without you fucking her and mm -hmm. it was a, it was an angel and then three guys show up at your doorstep with gifts <laughs> on the birth of yeah. you like you should raise an eyebrow like mm -hmm. of course you should yep exactly and the fun part, uh, the fun part also about this like you know new testament is that again most of the uh, like religious people don't seem to even know is that the bible is actually promising a second jesus right there's supposed to be a second jesus coming into the earth at some point to go ahead and save us all again now that was satoshi right yeah i mean it could be <laughs> that that's the thing like there's like again like funny theories about this but overall just think about like this uh, like new jesus like he would probably even if there would be a new one he would have to be able to show and prove these you know his magic tricks and that he's you know somehow different than all of other like all of us otherwise we would not believe him and we would just medicate him and throw him out to the mental hospital now like that is already a little bit controversial and weird but basically the second jesus would likely have to be even more weird than what the first one was uh, joe rogan was uh, talking about this a story uh in some of his podcasts about like that was a crazy crazy story about like how a person got how, how a, person, a person was born so just to wrap it up like very quickly it's a weird story but a woman uh somewhere i don't know where she was a prostitute and she was born without uh, a vagina like she had you know all the stuff to make a baby but she didn't have you know anything on the outside for some reason uh, i don't know some weird deformation or something now she was a hooker and she was taking a, like giving a blowjob for some guy and after that kate you know the woman went and started walking back home but she was getting mugged uh, like some other guy went, came and you know tried to get rob her money so the girl didn't want to give the money so this mugger go went ahead and you know like stabbed the girl first in the stomach a few times uh like somewhere in there and apparently one of the stabs hit her somewhere in you know throat or stomach or something that she uh, like the in the knife there was a little bit of the sperm of the guy uh, of the previous customer now in the second stab this sperm actually fertilized the eggs of this girl and she actually got pregnant from a gunfight this uh, no, sorry, sounds from a, like from a, a typical joe rogan story i'll take yeah, it with this, a grain of actually, salt <laughs> yeah but that's the thing like uh oh, oh i was reading about this later and it's actually like real like it actually happened uh, apparently and that is if jesus would be coming for the next you know the second time that would be the way to come you know like <laughs> that would exactly be something so miraculous and weird that it would be worth you know taking a second look at that guy and like hey could there be something funny the, in this guy the moral of the story is that if you're born without a vagina 
sex worker is probably not the right career path for you. <laughs> yeah. Or overall, like what I've been waiting for is for, you know, Craig Wright to go ahead and tell that he's the second Jesus or something. Like that would be the next. Didn't he already? I'm surprised. Nah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't wonder. But yeah, there's going to be exactly a lot of these, or we should expect these in the future. No, um, especially the no, no, people should no, well, well they, like they already exist. There, there are about 50 people per year or something claiming that they probably more. Uh, I don't know an exact number, but of course there are, there are 8 billion people. Some of them are going to claim that they're Jesus 2.0. Why wouldn't they? Yep. I mean, yep, exactly. You don't hear about them a lot because people don't give a crap, but mm -hmm. that's another. Yeah. Also, just to go back a little bit quickly about that, like why I think God is bad. Uh, like, if, uh, have you guys read this uh, book about uh, Brothers? Uh, I think it was Karamazov. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the name, I, Brothers Karamazov. Yeah. Like, I think that book was exactly like, a, a, the, wasn't that the one where they had this idea of like, you know, I think the character was Ivan or something that he exactly figured out that like, if God is letting so much of like crazy stuff happen, so much, so much bad stuff happen, even though he's omni and he could actually prevent and stop all of this, Ivan doesn't want to have anything to do with this God. He doesn't deserve our prayers and our respect or like it would be like, why would we obey him? You know, like if he's actually punishing and forcing us and, you know, like kind of giving the only options is like, you do this. Or, you know, sometimes even some crazy stuff, you know, like kill your brother or, you know, some stuff like that. You know, if we don't do it, God will just punish us. That doesn't seem like a good God. I really much agree with that. You know, even if there would be one, if that's his nature, why would you want to hang, hang out with him? Yeah. You know, why would you want to go into heaven and hang out with such a guy? Stephen Fry's example is bone cancer in children. Why is that yep. a thing? Exactly. And many people keep saying that, oh, but God wanted to give us like, you know, the free will, that that was the biggest gift of all. And, you know, like, that's why we have bad things happen. Okay. I mean, that explains why some people are choosing to do bad things. But why are there exactly like, you know, hurricanes or whatever these, like, you know, some people born with weird deformations or, you know, just suffering from, from the beginning of their life. Nothing explains that, not human cruelty, like it's, it's, it's God a, who so-called created them. Here's a deeper thought about that. Is free will really free if it was given to you? Yeah. I mean, and also, yeah, free will, uh, it's a very interesting, like, exactly, philosophical. Yeah, you, you, you can't claim that it's free if you, if you need a permission to have it, like if someone gifted it to you. It's like, it's like governments. The only option you have is to obey and they will give you whatever freedoms you have. It's, it should be the other way around. You should, you're free to do whatever you want. And the only human right is the right to be left alone and all that. If you need a permission, then you don't really have agency. I mean, you're, you're not sovereign. You're, you you don't have free will. Exactly. So, and yeah. That's really bothers me in some Bitcoiners exactly that they keep talking about uh, like, you know, this Omni God who basically he knows everything. He's always everywhere at the same time. He's in the future. He's in the current, uh, like past and he's in the current situation. So he knows everything that how things will go. Uh, he sees all the possibilities. No, uh, also the same people who believe in that keep saying that we have free will. 
I don't really understand how can that be like really compatible. No. Square like peg it, in a round it, it hole. Yeah, so uh, and, and uh, yeah, the 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 entity that you just described sounds a uh, a lot like Craig Wright describing himself. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, so th that's what people should take it for. Like, this is all. This is an obvious Craig Wright situation here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it's it's so weird. Very like you know, and um, this the free will thing. Uh, I think it has like a lot of these very interesting nuances. I've been dabbling with it uh, in it like myself too. Now uh, it's a little bit of like different angle now from here, but. Well, like, are we actually really like free? And what does that mean? You know, we have kind of, in, according to some theories, we have kind of two parts at least, or two personalities in our head. You know, kind of like the the one that works in automation, like you know, basically system one that handles most of the things and does everything. Like you know, uh, when you're hungry or whatever, it does everything automatically. It doesn't really think of like too much of stuff. But then there's the system two, like the cognitive side. Of like that people usually considered as like you or me, you know, the, that the part where you actually think of things, where you can uh, reflect on the past and you know think, consider the future and all of these kind of things. But that side is only active like for very very little amount of time that we are awake and all. So are we really like what is free will then? You know, which one should you obey? Let's say you make. In a New Year's resolution, you make uh, a decision that you want to go ahead and start exercising, let's say, every day. You decide that, but then the next day you say, like, ah, I don't really feel like it. I just want to go ahead and, like, eat some garbage food and uh, watch Netflix. Which one is you? Which one you should obey? Which one you should listen? I don't really know. You know, it seems oh, like no. we have controversies in, in ourselves. But I would assume the cog uh, cognitive side is probably the more us. Conscious decisions come with a lag, so we actually we can see, measure the movements of people, and you can see that the the, the, the consciousness gets gets the information after the limb is moved, which is very interesting too. So, so it, our brains are probably making the decision, but it's not the conscious part of brain of the brain that actually does it. When you go into like deep meditation and stuff, you 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 can figure out that the only thing you can really if if there's such a thing as free will, the only thing you can really do with it is focus on uh, a, a thought comes into your head and you can choose to pay attention to it or not. And that's about as far as it goes. Then again, having said that, you can do an enormous amount of things with just that. You have this brain with gazillions of thoughts coming into it at all times. If you can pick and choose what to pay attention to and not, that can lead you to that. That's why people function and do great things with their lives, like because they they're able to focus their attention on this particular thought. And like I said before, I think that quote uh, encapsulates the entire debate. Of course, you have free will; you have no choice but to have it, uh, because the it, it sort of. Uh, illuminates the the absurdity of the notion of no free will because why would we engage in anything if there was no free will because we were pre-programmed to another conclusion i've drawn about this is like if there was no entropy there couldn't be no no free will if the universe wasn't entropic and went from ordered orderly to disorderly there could be no free will which is to say that because if there was no entropy 
the universe would be deterministic, then you could measure like every particle. But then again, you couldn't because your life would be predetermined too. If every particle just followed a, a path that was laid out for it in the beginning of time. So, uh -huh. so entropy and free will are connected, <laughs> which is funny because, you know, uh, free will can be used to slow down entropy locally <laughs> and create something of more complexity in a world of ever, um, uh, a, a thing of more, a more orderly thing in a world of more and more disorder as, as time progresses. Now, funny things to think about, definitely. And I really like, you know, I really appreciate this kind of, you know, discussions, guys. And it's really nice to exactly have kind of like, you know, throw out the pre-assumptions, but, you know, start from kind of like scratch uh, in some way, you know, like what, what can we actually know exactly? Like first defining truth and we kind of realize that, okay, well, there's very little that we can actually know. Then there's just three theories that sound logical or, you know, coherent or, yeah, or there's theories that are doesn't sound like it but you know exactly not having those huge like you know uh base assumptions that no but I, my whole identity depends on having let's say uh this and that or believing in this or that but, you know it's going to be a huge mess trying to even talk about these things you know honestly and openly yeah the the main reason that i've thrown out like any baby with the bathwater with the religious ideas personally and made that decision is like I, I try to figure out when starting to think about starting thinking about something that will this is this th this subcategory of thought is it going to lead me somewhere or is it just a waste of time because I really hate when stuff wastes my time <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, and unfortunately, the older you get, the, 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 mo the more you see how many things in the past that led you on the wrong path and was just red herrings. You, you have to pick and choose how to use your time and what to think about. It's the most crucial thing, really. So is it useful? Is it, what's the word you use? Is it valid? That's yeah. a very good question to ask yourself. Is, is this way of thinking valid or not? Yeah. Uh, is it useful? And is it true? And um, you you probably can't know if it's true or not, but you probably can detect whether it's useful or not, and you can probably figure out whether it's valid or not. And I think I think the usefulness of religion is actually still debatable and valid. I'll I'll start using the terminology. It's very useful for those on top. Ah, uh, but but okay. So but I've got a different approach here. I've got a different approach here. The usefulness. I think is is still that we need guiding principles to give us some idea of what to generally do in the world. And that was the original purpose of going back to kind of this bottom-up story-based thing. It's give some idea of how to behave in the world that can be communicated when it was only say this oral tradition, writing wasn't a thing. But but to to bring it kind of back to where it's lost itself and the part that I discard is not useful. That's the religious bit. That's the top down part of it that says you have to behave this way. Otherwise you're a bad person. I like to think of it now as a whole bunch of here's maybe you should consider living this way, operating this way because it's worked for a whole bunch of people. 
in the past. That's why it's made it into this religious thing. But if you don't want to do that, go ahead and maybe you'll see if it works out or not. Here's just some guiding principles. And so for me, that's been useful because I can kind of look at these religious things and think of them with a little bit more clarity now and think, do I actually think this is something useful? And this is also similar, I think, background-wise in terms of I, I used to be a Christian. I was raised Christian and I tried to go through all of these ideas and actually wrestle with them, grapple with them, whatever. And for a good long while, I had to throw the entire thing out because I, well, I, like, I fully rebelled and I went very anti-Christian in a lot of different ways. And that's probably a story for another time. But the 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 base of it, though, is that in trying to see religion or religious stories as having a separate type of usefulness that I can actually now engage them with instead of throwing out the whole thing because it's this religion, that part has been useful to me. So I think the usefulness and the validity question is still an open one and maybe still worth considering. The, the problem I have with that, Luke, is that you cannot know if this was or wasn't the original intent of the author of these religious texts. It, it might as, just as well be the case that the texts were written with you know, subduing populations in mind, and as as that that was their main purpose. the The author of these texts, uh, well, you can believe that they were written by God, but if we discard that idea because it's ridiculous, it, they were written by people. People use different means to reach different ends, and the authors of these texts probably tried to reach some end street cred in in the middle east whatever uh and they used you know writing these texts as a means to that end the cults that 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 happened around them they're all if you look at how how civilizations begin and how how uh, uh it, it always starts with one tribe killing the the neighboring tribe and taking their stuff and in order to do that, you need to get the people with you. And the better your story, and if you can tell them that you will have 17 virgins in heaven and whatnot, and uh, you, you'll get your reward in the afterlife. And if you can get people to fall for that, it's very easy to, to, to do people into doing very atrocious things to the other tribe. So I think this, this is like, it's more plausible that this is why religions were invented or how spirituality was hijacked. I mean, you can see spiritual, you can see in chimps and bonobos that they, they have sacrificial altars and stuff. So they probably have some beliefs about nature that are unfounded as well. And if you can hijack that and present people with an intersubjective belief system, you can do a lot for your particular tribe and you can do a lot for the collective, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for each individual in the, in the collective. It might just mean that it's of detriment to <laughs> two people in that collective. Uh, while the collective grows, it's not very good for the people in it. Just like the, the Soviet Union was very powerful until it collapsed. And it included a lot of people, but it wasn't very good for the people in the Soviet Union. 
in my mind, religions are the same. They, if you look at the cross, what, what, what's the cross? What is the symbol of Christianity? It's a torture device. The torture device, what it does to us psychologically, is it reminds us of how really shitty human beings can be to one another and how we need to be saved from what people will do us to us if they, we don't accept this savior type of person that apparently endured this torture device on our behalf somehow, and somehow that was the best cause of action for some odd reason that the Bible never really explains. It's just like, oh, what a nice guy. He endured a lot of pain for us. I don't feel better because because someone tortures my neighbor. That's that's not how we that there's no morality there. There's not it's not a good foundation to build any sort of moral framework around in my mind. It's it's just confusing. And I think the confusion, not only in Christianity, but in every religion, is, is somewhat deliberate. Because if it's confusing, it's easier to do people. You can easily see that with state narratives. If they're confusing, the, the more they confuse us, the, the more fearful we get. And the more fearful we get, the easier it is to control us. It's like, <laughs> it's global warming. Oh, hang on, it's not global warming anymore. It's called climate change now. Or like... The, the vaccines work to 100% to prevent everyone from get, getting infected. Oh, I mean, it prevents those that uh, maybe it's like one third effective, but... Uh, uh, you just take the vaccine and you get to heaven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's the equivalent of like, I think these mechanisms are in, in human beings. We have them because of the tiger analogy. It's We're prone to listen to to people, to fear mongers, because we, we pay attention to bad news better, more than good news, because it's been evolutionary correct to do so. But that doesn't make the bad news true, <laughs> because all, all religion is doing is it's the same thing. It, it, it warns us about, like, if you don't behave this way, bad things will happen to you. And wh while that may have, you know, helped certain tribes behave consistently for a couple of hundred years and therefore expand faster than other tribes it doesn't doesn't make it any more true and it doesn't make life easier for the people in that tribe either so like free yourself of everything dogmatic and and see like you you cannot know the intent of of the people who started these things uh, and you cannot take it a, you, you cannot assume that they did it for for uh, for altruistic reasons or for 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 good reasons. I'm going to push back on this lightly and in two ways. Sure. So so the first part about this is that the top downness I think is only really relevant in terms of these these things that have built a big structure. What what I'm more interested in is the comparison with societies that did not have this this top down thing going on, pre Christian Europe being an example that uh, that I like uh, the 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 Romans and the Greeks they they tended to get uh, as their societies got a little more organized their their god structures got a little more organized and they had these big societies and all this the the indian um is sort of an a, an equivalent there they're very structured and stratified but you can also look at examples from all over the the world that don't have sort of a common 
place here. And there are examples of stories that are just trying to say something. And so I think that's where I, I say there's at least a bottom up angle to this, where when you say you can't make the assumption that this was done altruistically or something like that, I, I would make the kind of the opposite that you can't also assume that in every single one of these places all over the world, these stories were come up with they 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 came in in a bottom up scenario that's the that's the first light pushback and the the second one is also that i totally agree like the you you cannot make either assumption that's that's what i'm trying to say yeah sure and well then i think then i think uh we're in agreement on that point and then so the the second one is a little more like i think some of these things did actually help improve the lives of individuals because conditions in societies where you didn't have writing, where you didn't have all of the necessities of daily life, you didn't have sharing of information, these sorts of things would have at least been useful to say that behaving in a certain way is more likely to be useful now. And here, I'll try and concretize this in an example if I can remember it correctly. It's kind of like the 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 reasons for discouraging adultery is all a way for uh to to ensure that a man will accept that he's he's got his own children like if if uh, a man is is sure that these kids are mine he's going to stick around and be the provider and this is actually a benefit for the women so it's not necessarily like originally that some patriarchal person came and said, men have to marry one woman and that's going to oppress women for thousands of years. It's similarly likely that the mechanism this happened was if men and women were sleeping around a whole ton and there was no social cohesion, that men were likely to leave and leave the women in the lurch and then the the society kind of breaks down right so you there's you these stories the, there are more recent examples of that i i think it's evolutionary advantageous for for primates to stick to one mate and that is if you if you look at some north african countries where polygamy is uh, allowed you get this these alpha males that get all the women and then you have all the other men without women, and then there's civil unrest because guys need to fuck. That's 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 the basic premise here. Uh, and uh, if they don't, they fight instead. So so uh, so I think for a for a group or a collective, it, uh, monogamy has been a very advantageous concept. But similarly for for the individual too, then right? Because for the individuals, yeah, of course, not every individual, but no. it will be better if there isn't. It's it's good rest. for an individual to live in a somewhat orderly society, yeah, uh, rather than a disorderly one. And but but you can say this about like Hinduism, for instance, and the caste system uh, worked very well for the top costs. <laughs> Because, the, like, imagine that—that's like the ultimate lie. If you, if you do a good work, being if you do a good job being my servant for this life, you may, uh, you know, level up in your next life. That's such a vile. <laughs> I, I I think people think Hindus are are so nice and spiritual and friendly, but like, like that's the most vile religious system that exists on the planet. It's like, be my slave now, and I might 
promote you in 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 the afterlife it's just uh vile but of course it it, it provides a, an orderly society and of course of course it's very good for some people uh the usual suspects the the elites it's always best for the elites but that wasn't the original form of hinduism we can go back to the vedic hinduism which is the really the oldest religious link between the hindu indic and the european where you can actually make correlations between um they, their their term is dios potter i think it is and that's the term for jupiter and tuyur in the uh, scandinavian languages you have all the same words and the same gods and it's it's ancient stuff and and they also did it differently and then later on they stratified so i so i think maybe this is even my original point is more like i think there's useful stuff in the original bits before it got stratified by societies that's the bit that i take out as useful because it actually is more individualistic and can be useful on an individual level but that's I, the bit I, that i like uh, if i may yeah sure 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 <laughs> we, so, we uh, almost forgot we got a guest here <laughs> like <laughs> no worry no no i mean I, it's very interesting exactly to hear these uh but like you know i think i very much agree with look like you know in some sense that like stories can be useful for people you know like whatever the story is it can be like santa claus if that if, if that makes you actually behave better i guess it is better for society that you believe in whatever stuff it is it doesn't matter if it's real or not like if it makes you behave better or at least in my perspective if it makes you stay out of my business believing whatever you want like i don't really care uh but it's kind of weird to me though that people need this like illogical like stories to be able to behave and act responsibly like it's kind of it's kind of weird and especially like what bothers me most is kind of like the cherry picking on all of these religions you know like if if we would exactly like someone would say that hey i believe exactly what is written in this book and i like abide by that and because i want to get to heaven i'm kind of like okay at least you're like consistent with your ideas but the one thing that bothers me the most and exactly what i was doing when i was young is just cherry picking like most of the christians probably are not going to to church every sunday and you know waking up early or they are not throwing stones at gay people or something like that you know that are the thing those are the things that the book is saying that you should do uh, but people are not doing it so it's cherry picking so how do you know what can you exclude from this book and what can you not exclude like what do you know what matters what god actually uh, cares about and like you can explain to yourself you know in many ways like oh but okay this doesn't make sense and it's probably a mistake by you know some priest back in the days like he just didn't like gay people so he added this kind of thing but how do you know how do you know which yeah. part is exactly that like how do you know that one of the ten commandments are not exactly like that kind of a fluke you know and so i think the cherry picking is kind of like what i did when i was young and i exactly just saw that it's very hypocritical uh, so i had to kind of drop it like it's all or nothing you know <laughs> show me the manual for cherry picking and shoehorning because that's basically what every religious person needs to do in order to make their worldview somewhat coherent yeah. Uh, and also also yeah. this thing of like many people explain it like oh but it's an old book it has to have some story in it well we know about even older stories and all of those stories have multiple gods like if you go exactly into that like you know plato socrates uh, aristotle like you know old greece they had a bunch of gods 
Like if you go to Egypt, they had a bunch of gods. Like the older story is that there was a bunch of different gods, even forests, like rivers. Everyone had some kind of a spirit or god that we have to pray for. And then it, at some point, like later, got exactly like consolidated in, into like, no, 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 it's just one guy. And like, okay, well, how does this one guy do, do all of this? Well, he's just very, very clever. He just knows everything. And, you know, like we just come up with these crazy, weird, you know, the simplest or the kind of like the laziest explanation. Yeah. And, and how old the book is has nothing to do with the validity of the stuff in it. Okay. I mean, it's, it's probably more true that the, the more recent the book is, the, the, the more valid it is because we have more knowledge now. Like it's, it, mm -hmm. to me, that's obvious. And like, well, there's some truth to the Lindy effect of the survivability of ideas, but, but ideas, bad ideas survive too. If enough people who believe in them survive and reproduce, that's, that's all it takes. So, um, yeah. Hence the word meme. Ideas are like genes. They're memes. That's where uh -huh. the, uh, the word originated. Uh, an evolutionary biologist came up with it. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so this is, yeah. Uh, and people, people forget about that. Yeah, there was this one, a very uh, smart guy who once said to me uh, that we're all just, you know, like meat bags uh, trying to create better and better memes. That is like the whole point of life uh, in some way. Like, you know, we all, we just, you know, weird meat bags. We get a lot of inputs. We get a lot of, you know, sensations throughout our lives. We try to always condense, take only the most important parts of it and push it out to the next generations in the form of a book, in form of teachings, in form of whatever. We're trying to always abstract the information and kind of like put it into a meme and push it to the next generation. The next generation gets more and more a bunch of memes. It also consolidates them, try to create better memes to exactly portray the same information in a more easier or faster way. You know, it's kind of well, makes sense in some way. Love it. Like better memes. We're meat bags producing better and better memes. That's that's our purpose. Like, like, yep. Okay, <laughs> we can close the book on philosophy now. We found the <laughs> meaning of life. Create better memes for fuck's sake. Yep. That's the only that's the only goal you have. <laughs> I mean, uh, there is exactly, yeah, just quickly, there, <laughs> just quickly, I uh, just wanted to say, like, there's this uh, interesting theory about also life having an inherent goal. You know, Darwin was saying uh, that every single life form that you look into, like, it will have to learn how to reproduce itself or it, it will stop existing. So all of life forms have an inherent goal of reproduction, which is weird like crazy i mean and it doesn't mean every individual necessarily well kind of means like as a collective like you know life forms tend to try to duplicate themselves because that's the most efficient way of acting uh like in general yeah like but that's not weird that's just life like the yes. definition of life uh, beings wouldn't have come to life if that, if that wasn't the case like survival mm -hmm. is, is is the very thing that makes things live Without survival, there would be no life. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Oh. Uh, Rafa, this this has been a great two hours. Uh, absolutely loved it, and I'd love to have you back on some, some someday, whenever that is, in a year or so. We may follow this up, and I hope to see you again in in real life soon. I, I think we should round this off now. Like we we usually don't do very much longer than two hours. We think that's a good good limit. 
Luke, do you have any uh, any additional questions? Uh... Only thing is, where would you like people to go to connect with you and to find out more about the original topic we we started with, uh, uh, Wasabi? Yeah, so uh, feel free to go ahead and uh, Wasabi Wallet or Wallet Wasabi is the actual GitHub repository that we use for the project. But uh, overall, you know, follow Wasabi Wallet in Twitter or whatever, all the different social medias. And yeah, if you want to go ahead and ask me questions or give me uh, feedback about all of these unpopular opinions, go ahead and push your, put your hate mail into uh, the Twitter handle PDT Paradigm. Wonderful. Yeah, as Knut said, thanks a lot for coming on. This, this was uh, exceeded all possible expectations. This was a fantastic conversation, I think. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I uh, am thrilled to see what the uh, reactions are going to be about some of the things we've talked about here. So yeah, uh, certainly open invitation. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on. All right. Thank you very much, guys. It was awesome being here. And yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, and keep up the good work with Wasabi. You got to. All right. Oh, man. Awesome. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening.